As Kathy mentioned, um, this is the year 2020. And hindsight is what? 2020. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for um, moving us through 2019. Lord, thank you for the blessing of your grace that has moved us into what we consider to be another year. But from your perspective, is just a moment in a work that you began before creation was spoken to existence. And thank you, Father, for being the, for the privilege of being part of what you've been doing before all that we know even came to be. God, I pray that when we get to see the other side of that from our perspective and be with you in eternity, we will be able to give you honor and praise because not only of the name of Jesus that we've just sang about, but because of the Father who loved us so much that he sent his one and only Son. We pray this in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated if you have not already. We're uh, continuing a study through the book of Ephesians. So it's a letter really to the church at Ephesus. And uh, really this message is part two of a message that I gave last week. And so if you were here last week and you remember, some of the principles are going to be very, very familiar, and that's good. If you were here last week and you have no recollection whatsoever of what I talked about, uh, this will be a good refresher for you. And if you weren't here at, at all, I'll be introducing something to you that is absolutely foundational to the understanding of who we are in Christ and also how you can even become a Christian, because all of the our understanding of how we interact with the God who rules the universe, who created all things, who literally spoke it into existence, is that he has to be number one. And that in all things, at all times, he must be the ruler. We as human beings don't like that at all. We, we reject that almost outright. Because we like to be number one. Some of us are very brash about it we cross the finish line i'm number one we get the big pay raise i'm number one we got the promotion i'm number one whatever and and we we we're not at all ashamed of being number one for many if not most of us we do it kind of sneaky we exert our will to be number one because that's the urge of our inner being but we do it very quietly we will get our own way against somebody else's not because our own way is necessarily better than theirs but because it's their will and not ours at my uh, job our ceo has hired this consultant and uh, i'll just be honest with you I'm, I'm not big in consultants you know they they get paid a whole lot of money for coming in and telling you what everybody knows is wrong and then they're brilliant because they've told you what everybody knows is wrong and then sometimes give you suggestions of how to make things better sometimes sometimes not and then they go away and leave you with the job of doing whatever they suggested and I always thought that, that was kind of a bad gig and wondered how I could get into that gig because I can be critical with the best of them, you know, and I could come in and tell you what's wrong and give you suggestions what's right and disappear while you figure out how to do what it is that I told you to do. I mean, I could do that, but just never have. So anyway, we have this consultant, he's coming in. I've, I've actually grown to really respect the man. And one of the things that's his favorite thing to talk about is George Carlin and 
George Collins is a comedian, and, and he has the answer to everything. And one of the things that he says about the answer to everything is that life can be put down into a trip on the highway. You know, everybody that's going slower than you're going is going too slow. And everybody that's going faster than you're going is an idiot. Think about that. It's true. It really is true. And that's how, that's that number one. Because what we assume is when we get our motor vehicles that everybody should either be making way for us, get out of the way, or not going faster than us because we're going the reasonable speed, whatever that happens to be. 45, 55, 85, doesn't matter. It's our speed because we're number one. And so this concept is a concept that, that Paul uses in his letter to the church, but he does it not from the understanding of creating some new philosophical structure. He does it from the understanding of who God is and how we're supposed to relate to him. And so I'm going to be just readdressing this in new relationships. We looked at the relationship of husband and a wife. Um, and the relationship of one brother or sister in Christ to the other. And there's this term called hippotasso, uh, which is a hippo and a lasso slammed together. you got a hippotasso, and what that means is to put things in proper order. And I spent a lot of time about talking about that. I'm going to spend some more time talking about it today. But it isn't a matter of structuring value. We talked about how five has a greater value than one, but one is the first place because that's the proper order. Two becomes before seven, even though seven has a greater value than two, but you don't reverse them because seven has a greater value. You keep the order proper so that we can work together. And the only way for us to be able to move forward in 2020 is to keep things in their proper order. So here, here's a challenge. If, if uh, this is as far as you get, I want to at least get you uh, this challenge. Uh, this is 2020, and, and it really struck me uh, weeks ago that we're going to be living in the year that should remind us of our hindsight. And so I'm going to just, I'm going to challenge you this year. Make this year the year that you learn from your past. What did you do well? Do that again. What did you not do well? Avoid that. What did you learn in 2019 and 18 and 17 and 16 and go back as far as you can go back that makes you different today? Take hold of that. Keep it. Don't forget it. What did you drag forward those years that you really needed to get rid of? Let it go. If we're going to be in hindsight year all year long, which all of us are, unless we decide as a culture we don't like 2020 anymore and we're going to just randomly name it something else which we could do but I doubt it so we're going to be all year in hindsight year let us covenant together let us promise to each other that we're going to do our absolute best to leave what needs to be left behind behind and use the hindsight that we've been given to build a much 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 better today we can't build tomorrow but we can build it today because this is where we're at and it's a great opportunity for us to do so. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to get them. Find the letter to the Ephesians and find the sixth chapter, Ephesians chapter six. 
And I'm going to read a, a passage that is connected to the prior passage. So really where this passage begins is in chapter 5, at least verse 21, where, where Paul is, is giving a little bit of an of a argument change, not too much, but a little bit of an argument change. And he says these words in chapter 5, verse 21, and further, or to continue, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So according to Paul in 521, who's number one in his life? Okay, Christ. And we're to submit to one another because we respect, we awe Christ. Okay, you all with me? So he, he set this platform down, this real foundation down upon which he's going to build. And so he builds the relationship between a husband and wife and between the church and its head. And the head of the church is who? Christ. And I just want to remind you, I know it is 2020 New Year. Uh, we're in a conversation, okay? This isn't me preaching to you. We're in a conversation. So, and I need you to, to hear yourself say that because it's real easy to say, well, the pastor's the head of the church or the elders are the head of the church or the deacons are the head of the church or the most influential member is the head of the church. None of those things are true. Not in theory, nor should they be in practicality. Christ has got to be the head of his church because he paid for us. We exist because of him, Period. That the whole structure of our gathering together is in a mutual agreement that we'll come and be nice Christian people. Our whole gathering together is a confession that God has taken radically different people from radically different walks of life and he has connected us together closer than any brother or sister by blood could ever be connected by the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit. And that when we realize that and when we connect to that, then we start to treat each other differently. We start to think differently about each other. But when any other structure is introduced, then we run into a lot of problems. And being as 2020, we can look in hindsight and identify those problems. But that's not what we're here to do this morning. I want us to say, but what can you do today to revolutionize our lives in this day? So chapter 6, verse 1. Is one, if you've been around for a while, you've uh, been familiar with. If you're a parent, you probably use this. But I want to give you a perspective of this passage in its context. So, children, obey your parents because you belong to who? The Lord. All right, thank you. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well with you and you will live a long life on the earth. My mom loved that phrase. I've heard that many times. Paul continues on. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Hope you're seeing a theme. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you, as slaves of who? Christ. 
Do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord as rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same what? Where? In heaven. And he has no favorites. This passage, I, I don't know what it is about this passage. It gives me goosebumps every time I read it. I got them right now. It, it's just, it is just so practical. It is so straightforward. It is so revolutionary. And it is so ignored. We like the children parents thing because we kind of get the warm fuzzies. You know, we have this idyllic family you know, where the kids obey and the parents are nice and everybody gets together in the station wagon or minivan or whatever it is that's the current family mode of transportation of choice. And we're all just happy we sing little songs and, and move along. We don't really live there, do we? Some of you do, I guess. I didn't. We had this joke in our family about these invisible lines in the backseat of our car. Each kid had their property. And every property has a property line. So you stayed on your line, stayed in your line. We made a fun thing out of it, but it, the principle was still true. Don't touch your sister. Don't touch your brother. Stay on your own property. Don't cross the line. We do that thing. That's reality. But within that reality is this opportunity for incredible growth. And it has this, this structure that is the same structure. And it isn't just in how children treat each other or how children treat their parents or how parents treat their children. But also extends to how employees respond to their employers in Paul's day, how slaves, people that were property, let me say that again because don't you miss this, people who were property could be bought and sold, who had no personal liberty. They were slaves. How they related to their masters and how even the masters related to those that they, by human standards, Owned. So, I'm going to illustrate for you a little bit differently. I just noticed this chair's got a chunk out of it, so we'll use a different one. So, Because this chair is tall, we're going to call this the big chair, okay? That's going to be the big chair. And because this chair is shorter, we're going to call this the small chair. Our life can really be illustrated in many ways by who's sitting in the big chair and who's in the small chair and we measure each other by who's sitting in the big chair and who's sitting in the small chair i remember when i was at ups um our boss's 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 boss came to our place it was the weirdest experience i'd had as a young man I, i'd i'd had bosses before i'd been working by the time i was in my early 20s for almost a decade and so but I, I never had, you know, my, my boss, when I first started working, I apprenticed as a printer, and he owned a, a smelter 
uh, he melted down metals and sold them to Japan, and they made cars out of it. So it wasn't unusual for my boss to literally come into the shop because the printing shop, he owned this printing shop in the smelting business, and it was on the same property, and come in there, and his clothes would literally be smoldering from him doing out. Now, it's just kind of hard to have this sense of awe for your boss when he's just been on fire. But um, I, I loved him, and, and we got along great, and, and um, he treated me just so, so well. can't say enough uh, good about him. But I, I never had the experience of awe when it came to authority in, in the workplace. And so when my boss's 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 boss showed up at our plant, it was like even the machines ran quieter. It was like for that, that 20 minutes that he was walking around like the king of Siam, you know, when all these people in suits and ties at 3 a.m. in the morning, you know, it, it's just, there's a special kind of torture to wear a suit at 3 a.m. If you've never done it, you should try it. Just get up at 3, put your suit on and think, well, that's just crazy. But, you know, they, they're all walking around and he's looking at stuff and he's talking to people and everybody's hushing and, and you know, folks that were always working furiously, we're working a little bit more furiously. I mean, and things were going smoothly and it, it just, it had to be the place because he was there. He's, he's the boss. And there's this sense of awe, this reverence. We have this for the people in the big chair. He was a little guy too. He was about this tall. And I remember thinking just to just, because it's, I do these things, so it makes me strange. Uh, I remember thinking, you know, here even the machine seems to be running quieter because he's in the place, and he's just a little dude, you know, but he was the boss's 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 boss, and he was in our place, and it's like, oh, wow. So we really respect, and we want to be in the chair. Even if we're nobody's boss, we want to be in the chair. What we don't like is we don't like a little chair. And if I thought of it, and I didn't, I'd even got one of the littler chairs, you know, the ones that the kids sit in, you know, where your knees are a little bit higher than your hips, because we really don't like being in that chair, do we? You know, it's like, I just feel tiny. I'm frustrated because I have no authority. I can't change anything. And if you've been in the workplace at all, you've been in the little chair at some point in your life. It's frustrating. Paul takes in this passage and he blows this whole thing up. And he does it in such a way that's applicable in every generation. It's applicable in every culture across human existence. And he just really clearly addresses it. So I, I want to go back over this passage. And I really don't want to go on and on and on about it. But I, I want to make sure that we walk away with the principle in our hearts and its application on our feet. Okay? So he starts off with children. Now, where, where do children, what, which chair do they get to be in? The little chair, because they're little people, right? Now, we've flipped this upside down, and we've, we've begun to worship our children, and there's all sorts of craziness, and that's a subject for another message entirely. But children are used to being in a little seat. Eat your broccoli. I don't like broccoli. Tough, it's good for you. Eat it anyway. And I, I know we don't do that too much anymore, but... Just play along, okay? Um, here's one. Go to school. I don't want to go to school. Tough. You got to go anyway. All right? So now we're getting closer. All right? Um, go to practice. Well, I don't want to play that sport anymore. I paid $5,000. You're going to go to practice. 
Okay? All right. Now we're getting closer. All right? So they're, they're used to being in the, the little seat. But Paul does this incredible thing. He gives them an enormous amount of power, doesn't he? He says, listen, realize where you're at, who you need to submit to. Not because they're in the big chair, which parents love to remind kids about who pays for this house, who pays for this car, who pays for this food, right? Uh Uh-huh. Not because of that, but because of what? Where does Paul direct the attention of the child in the little chair? The Lord. He says, listen, God sees you. And he wants you to know that when you're in the little chair and you honor your parents who are going to do dumb things, it's not in the Bible, but you're following me, right? That they're going to be wrong. They're not going to see things the way that they're supposed to see. They're going to punish you accidentally for something your sister did. But when you honor them, you're not putting them in the big chair. You're recognizing who is in the big chair which is the Lord. And guess what? He's got a promise for you in the little chair that if you honor your parents that God has given to you for better or for worse, when you honor them, it will go well with you and he will give you life. Not them. We like to say mama gave us life, right? Which is true. But where did she get it from? The true origin of life. Not dad but the heavenly father. And so he addresses the the helpless and he says, listen, I'm giving you power. I'm giving you strength. I'm giving you a purpose that's beyond who the world thinks is in the big chair, which is your mom and dad. Because I'm introducing you to the concept that the Lord is in the big chair and he is their boss. And that he's given a promise, not through them, but to them because they're children too. And to you, that this order that he's put into place when properly applied brings life and life abundant. You following me so far? Does this make sense to you? Okay, some of you are you're nodding. That, that, that's good. That's good. Then he talks to the quintessential patriarch about the chair, doesn't he? Verse 4. Fathers don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. I love the way that the New Living Translation translates this passage. King James verse says, don't provoke your children to wrath. I like that one too. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from where? The Lord. And so here's dad who's supposed to be the patriarch, supposed to be the number one, supposed to be the ruler of the household, the king of his mountain, all of these kinds of things. He's supposed to be in the chair. And what does Paul do? He immediately gets him out of there and he says, here, you're not in that chair. In fact, I'm giving you a responsibility, dads, to interact with your children in a way that the word is actually uh, can be translated exasperate. Now, I had a wonderful dad. I have a wonderful dad. And he was really good about not doing this almost all the time. But there are some times that whether it be his stubbornness or his unwillingness to listen or whatever it might have been, his just being human, 
absolutely exasperated myself, my two brothers, and my sister. It's part of the human condition. Guys, we can frustrate to distraction people, particularly our children. We have that capacity. Whether we're good at it or not so good at it. My dad was not so good at it. He could do it occasionally, but he wasn't so good at it. So it would be fine to just say, okay, limit or eliminate this character flaw in human males. But Paul doesn't stop there under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. He says, no, you have a responsibility. You can't be frustrating your children to where they do not listen to you. You can't constantly saying, hey, listen, you know, if, if, if you'd have practiced for 30 minutes more each day, you'd have been a whole lot better swinging that ball bat. You've been a whole lot better uh, throwing that basketball. You've been a whole lot better uh, doing that test, whatever it be. That's one of the things that dads commonly exasperate their children. They're just constantly pressing them, somehow pushing them beyond what they really should be okay what your responsibility is is to pass along the instruction that you've received from the guy in the big chair and one of the greatest frustrations i've had as a spiritual leader is the lack of men who listen to that responsibility they love to pass it off, particularly to their wives or other significant women in their lives. If you are a dad, God has blessed you with children or a child, you have a primary responsibility, and that is to know what the Lord says, to have that applied in your life, and to pass that along to the next generation. It's absolutely crucial. And I celebrate it. I love it. In fact, I got to talk to somebody this morning just a few minutes ago who is a male person who is investing in the lives of children. Because guys, while it's great to have the trophies on the shelf, while it's great to have the money in the bank, while it's great to have the prestige of the powerful position, our best contribution to this world is to teach our children what the Lord says, and how they can be obedient to him. It's the best thing we can do. Best thing that we can do. And that's something, guys, that you've got to take challenge. And I know, like I said, I just don't know. There are lots of excuses. Just suck it up and go with it. Do the best job you can. God does incredible things with willing hands and hearts that are clean. Keep your hands willing, your hearts clean, do the best that you can, and God will bring the outcome, and it will be good because he's doing it. But you got to get at it. Get out of this chair. For dads, I call it the Archie Bunker chair. Do anybody remember Archie Bunker? Yeah. He's the, he was supposed to be the quintessential opposite of everything virtuous. You know, that's kind of what's the whole gig of the, of the show. You know, it's, it's to lampoon maildom in the U.S. But one of the things that would have been awesome is rather than being pressed out of his chair, literally, by the cultural changes, to be able to, from that chair, say, this isn't the chair of power, that's the chair of power. And what I'm sharing with you is share what I've received and what I'm submitting to my own life as well so 
We've talked about children who are in the little old chairs, and we've talked about the dads who like to be in the big chair, literally, but who don't belong there because the Lord belongs there, and they begin the responsibility of passing on what the Lord has given to them. And then we need to talk about slaves. Now, everyone knows what chair the slaves are in, right? This one. Their own, their property. And it would be really easy, and it was for many generations, this was understood in this country as the plain sense. Obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. And so what the masters did is they got into this chair. You're my slave. You're my, you're my property. I'm going to tell you what to do. And the Bible says that you need to honor me. You need to respect me. Just like many men have done that with their wives. Totally ignoring what Paul said very clearly that sets up this whole passage that we need to submit to one another out of reverence, out of fear, out of awe for the Lord. Well, we don't like that part, so we'll just ignore that. So, But I'm the master, and the Bible says you got to respect me and awe me. So I'm in the chair. We'll get to them in a minute. Let's get to the people that we all agree. They're in the little chair. You know, we, we don't practice practical slavery as a culture anymore. We've moved beyond that. We practice figurative slavery in many different ways. We still struggle with um, treating labor incredibly poorly. Uh, California's in this big fight about that right now. You know, what does it mean to be an independent contractor versus an employee? And the, I'm, I'm not a big fan of California, but I, I, I'm just going to tell you, as somebody who's lived all over the United States and seen some of the things that happened, in, in the industry that I'm in right now, in California, uh, in the trucking industry, um, the, there's a series of companies that said to drivers, hey, you know, we'll sell you your vehicle. That way you can be independent. You, know, you, you, you can make your own money. And then they, they, they arranged everything in such a way that a person who would work 60 hours in one week doing their job would owe the company money. And this happened last year. This is part of that whole fight that's going on. Uh, well, that's in California. Everybody knows they're weird, okay? How about in Kentucky? Has anybody heard the line, I owed my life to the... That's, you know, that wasn't a song lyric that just came out of nowhere. That was a reality that people in our state had to deal with that they literally would become so indebted to the only place where they could buy their goods that their life was owned. So they became, although they were free to leave, sort of, they were still enslaved. No, I'm not a socialist, but hey, there's right and there's wrong. And, and that's definitely wrong. So while we don't have in our culture practical slaves, we, we do have things that have arisen that create this ideal of being able to be freely able to move between job and job. Impossible. So we have people that are there. Well, how are they supposed to respond? You know, if 
my boss would just raise minimum wage or if I would just get bonus or if I would do this or if I would do that or if they would do this or they would do that and constantly complaining and moving and moaning and doing all of those things. No. Obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve who? Christ. So Paul gives this enormous burden to the people in the little chair, and then he immediately removes it. He says, you need to obey them, you need to respect them with fear. But not because they're in the big chair. Who's in the big chair? Jesus is in the big chair. And so when I clean bars, when I scrub toilets, when I did these things, I did not do that for my boss. Which, by the way, when I was doing those jobs... He didn't pay me one time. No explanation, just no pay. I'm telling you, it'll make you a little bit bitter. You scrub some toilets, you clean some bars, you don't get paid for it. Because it wasn't a lot of money in the first place. It would have been really easy to become very bitter if he was in this chair. But you know what the great consolation of not getting paid that week was? I wasn't working for him. Even as a young man, I understood this. And, I, and the reason why I understood it is because this is one of the things that my dad did really well from earlier in the chapter. He passed on this instruction because I saw him treated very poorly by his bosses. Very poorly. They would, just for no reason, just because they could, make his life miserable, which impacted us as a family. Mess around to schedule and do all sorts of crazy stuff. But dad never complained about his boss. He never undermined his boss. Why? Because he wasn't working for him. Or her. Not one day. Ever. Not one day. That's just so amazing. So even as a young man, when that all happened, I'm like, this is not good. I was not happy. You know, I, just let's be honest. I was not happy at all. I could make you nauseated on a Sunday morning with the filth that I had to deal with for no pay. Okay, But I understood that my boss wasn't in the chair. Jesus was in the chair. Now, tried to remedy. It was never remedied. But I can go on because I know that Jesus is in the chair. So if you're still working, there's something for you for tomorrow. I fired your boss. He's fired. Good, bad, ugly, indifferent, doesn't matter. He's fired. If you belong to Jesus Christ, your boss is now no longer your boss. Jesus is your boss. And so when you go to work tomorrow, I hope this is a joy to you and not just a terror, but when you go to work tomorrow, you can go to work for Jesus. Now you still need to do what your boss says to do, right? It says right here, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear but not because they control your paycheck, not because they control your job, not because of the other reasons why we walk around at 3 a.m. with ties and suits and hushed tones because they're the ones in authority, but because we know the one who is in authority over all. And we're working for him. That's awesome. It'll, it'll free up your life. It'll bring joy. 
I had a friend, I have a friend, he's still a friend, and he had, he had a boss that just was constantly tearing him down, uh, would undermine him, would make fun of him in front of his, his co-workers, and, and he came to me and said, I just, I can't deal with this anymore. And I said, well, have you, have you looked for another job? He said, yeah, I can't find another job. I'm stuck. I said, well, obviously the Lord says he's going to walk you through this. And he says, I know all that Jesus stuff, but man, you have no idea. I said, no, I, I do. And I shared some stories of, I do know what that's like. I said, but here's, here's the key. When you go to work tomorrow, there's still going to be an authority over you but they're no longer your boss. Just try it out. Try it for one week. Try it just, you have nothing to lose. You're miserable, right? Yes, I'm miserable. You've tried everything that you know to do to make things better, and it's been failure. Yes, I've tried everything I know to do. So I said, so what do you got to lose? It's in the Bible. Give it a shot. For years after that, he would come to me and say, guess what? My boss is still a jerk, but, and then he would give me some joy that he found because he was no longer working for his boss but he was working for christ he'd say my boss like gave me a compliment i couldn't believe it and and i just knew it was from the lord because there's no way this person who's an absolute jerk would ever give me a compliment and just like came out of the mouth in front of people even and he just would give joy after joy after joy after joy after joy for years after that so it's in the bible give it a shot i think that you'll have Likewise, good outcome, because it's true. Paul goes on, doesn't he? Verse 6, he says, Tries, try to please them some of the time, especially when they're watching you. I just made that up. And then he says, try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. As slaves of Christ, who's in the big chair, as slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. What are some things that would apply to that? What, what's the will of God? Clean toilets? No, it's not the will of God. Um, Jesus said that we're to love our neighbors, right, as we love ourselves. And if you're working for a boss, that boss is your neighbor, which the Pharisees wanted to get out of that whole thing. It's like, well, then who's my neighbor? And Jesus answered that question, didn't he? He picks out the worst of the worst at their time to that particular group of people, and he says, that's your neighbor. So if you've got a jerk boss, that's the worst of the worst, and guess what? They're your neighbor. And you've got to figure out ways to love them. Because that's God's will. What else is God's will? Paul says earlier in this same passage, doesn't he? He says, don't be drunk with wine because you'll ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs among yourselves. It's a great remedy to a crummy day at work to have a song of joy in your heart. That's God's will. Do you see how practical this is? I know it's not fun practical, but it is practical. It'll revolutionize your life. And even if you're not working outside the home, maybe you're retired or you, you don't have a, a career that's outside of your home, there's all sorts of work that has to happen inside the home, isn't there? And lots of it's not fun. 
Somewhere along the line of having three girls in my house, all of whom have wonderful, beautiful cresses of hair on their head, which I do not have, I got to be designated the hairball removal king. There's something, I don't know what it is, about soap and a woman's hair that just gathers and has parties at the bottom of tubs in that drain. And, and eventually, it does not allow the drain to work anymore. And you can put chemicals down there. You can do everything that you can think of, minus taking the thing apart to get it to work. And it just does not work. And so there has to be a designated hairball remover. Maybe you hire somebody for that. I was that guy. So I learned that there's this cheap $2 thing that you can get from Home Depot, Ace, whatever, except it spikes on it, and you can pull out these rat-looking, smelly things out of the drain. Now, that's not a job I ever looked forward to. I still don't look forward to it. It has to be done, because otherwise, the shower, bathtub, it backs up. Even those things, folks, are things that I was doing that one time. I was grumbling. I'm, I'm, I'm honest with you. I was grumbling. It's like, I'm bold and I'm not to get the girls in here pulling this stuff out. It's not hard to do that. You know, they'd be puking all over the place, but whatever. Grumbling. And the Lord just at that moment reminded me of this passage. Who are you working for? My wife. Who are you working for? My daughters, because they had their own tub. Not mad at them. They shouldn't be putting their hair down the drain. What's going on? Who are you working for? Yeah. It's like, come on, Jesus, just let me have this one thing. Please. No. I gave those beautiful girls that hair that you don't have. Yeah, it's caught in the drain, but guess what? Even this thing, you're working for me. And there's a promise to this too, verse 8. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good that we do, whether we are slaves or free. I mean, presses it all the way. What's your reward that you think that you're doing for pulling hair out of the tub? That, that your loving wife says, oh, thank you so much. The tub works. Your girl's like, thanks, Dad. I really appreciate it. You know, no, that's not the payment because you're not working for them. It isn't doing the things that you have to do so that you get a paycheck every week or every other week or once a month or whatever it is that they pay you. That's what we've learned in this culture. That's what we're working for. It's the paycheck so we can blow it on the weekend. No, the, what, when we work for the person that's really in the chair, the reward that we have is coming from that person. And guess what? Does the Lord reward us only in temporary things like paychecks and bonuses? Yes or no? He does not. The promise of those who are in Christ is that our reward, our best reward, is going to be a forever reward enjoyed for eternity. We forgot that. 
I don't about you, but I blow through paychecks like a madman. I mean, they just like, they're like rice paper. You put a little water on it, they just disappear. It's incredible. I don't live for those. I live for the thing that I'm not going to have to pay insurance on. I'm living for the thing I don't have to dust. I'm looking for the thing I don't have to protect. I'm looking for the joy of the reward that comes from God who is rewarding me because I pulled hairballs out of the tub and praised him while I did it. And God is that big. It's like, God ain't going to award you for that. Oh, he better. He promised he would. An unstuck tub is a good thing, and it says right here, for the good we do, it doesn't say except for hairballs and tubs. You following? This is exciting stuff. Lastly, and this is, I think this is why I get goosebumps every time. I've been in the workforce now for 30 lots of years, okay? Most of the time that I've been in the workforce, I've been the boss. Sometimes I just had one person reporting to me. I've had as many as 30 reporting to me. Not all the time. Right now, I'm not. I'm loving not being the boss. I'm nobody's boss except for me. That's it. I'm just enjoying it. But this is, this is what this says. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Same way as what? In the same way as they're treating you, which is what? With deep respect and fear. Why? Because your boss is the Lord. But I'm in the big chair. I'm the master. They're my property. No, 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 no. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master. And where is that master? And what's the last phrase? This is the best. He ain't got no favorites. He doesn't care that you're the boss. He doesn't care that you're the CEO. He doesn't care that you have the money. He doesn't care about any of that stuff. He sees you for exactly who you are. And he ain't impressed because you're not God and he is. I love this. And so whenever I was the boss, I always remembered that this is the responsibility that I had. And I've never been the, the boss, never been the CEO of anything. Thank God. I've always had bosses, even though I had people that I was bossing. But it, it just put everything to such beautiful perspective because I know that the big boss is always going to be the same from generation to generation. He's always going to be the same God who loved me so much that he gave his son. He died for me, that has indwelled me with his Holy Spirit, the power of love, the incredible, the ability to obey him and to say, yes, I will respect and awe this boss who's an absolute, profound, incredible jerk. Not because I'm afraid of him, but because the love of Christ is number one in my life. And I can be that person because everything is in order because God is in the big chair. This, brothers and sisters in Christ, is revolutionary thinking because it is God-centered thinking and we need to recapture it. So, 2020, first message of the year. This is the hindsight. Whatever authority structure you thought existed in this world, if it isn't what has just been presented to you, it needs to be trashed and redone to put the one who's in the big chair in the big chair. Whether it be in your family, 
whether it be in your workplace, whether it be in your relationship with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, wherever it is, there's only one big chair and there's only one personage big enough to occupy it. It's not you. It's not your boyfriend. It's not your girlfriend. It's not your mom. It's not your dad. It's not your boss. It's only Jesus Christ, the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit in us. That's it. There's only one chair. And we don't belong in it, nor does anyone else, other than the one who created the order of all things. It'll free you up. It'll give you joy in the most difficult circumstances and allow you to be part of God's revolution in this culture at this time. It is on this foundation of understanding and probably why I'm kind of really passionate about this stuff that I've shared with you over those last couple of weeks that I'm going to introduce to this congregation over the next several weeks what I call the EQUIP initiative. It's excited, qualified, unbelievably invested people doing what the Lord would have them to do. I believe that as we've worked together through some things and we've experienced some things together as a congregation in this place, then it's time for us to take the next step. Which means there's going to be a lot of things that are going to change. Some of them are going to be met with great joy. Yay, finally! And others are like, what in the world is going on? Folks, I want to lead you in this way. But I want to remind you, I ain't the boss. Just because I'm saying, hey, listen, this is the road that we need to go down doesn't mean I own the road or the destination because I don't own either one of them. I'm just your local street sign. Hey, this is north going there. This is south going there. If you want to go north, this is the way you go. Don't go south. This is the way to be. All I got. But I think when you know where it is that you're supposed to be going, that's a pretty powerful thing, isn't it? Ever been in one of those situations where you weren't quite sure where you were headed and you got nowhere? Because you didn't know where that somewhere was? We're going to do that. So I've been in conversation with deacons and be following up with the elders. And, you know, I get a lot of the same question. What does this mean? What does this mean? I'm... I'm not here to give all those answers. I'm just here to point the way. And the very first thing, and the only way that we can work and do what we need to do in the Lord's kingdom is to remember who's in the big chair. Every single one of us who's in the big chair. And when we find other people in the big chair, whether it be our own behinds or somebody else's, and we say, listen, get out of that chair. That's a reserved one. And sometimes we like to put people in those chairs because it's more comfortable for us to have somebody beside Jesus in the chair. Like even our boss. You know, it's a lot easier to be upset at work than it is to be happy for Jesus. Come on. Maybe your job is taking hairballs out of tubs. That's what you do every day. Thank God for you. I don't want your job, but thank God for you. It's the same principle. He's got to be in the chair. You're not working for that paycheck. You're working for the Lord. 
we have a time to respond. And it's going to be an extended time. And it is the beginning of the year. So I'm going to invite you. If, if you want to pray, you can come pray. That's what I'm going to do. If you want me to pray with you, just kind of tap me on the shoulder. I'll pray with you. But I'm going to just spend the next few minutes just praying before the Lord and confessing some things that, you know, God's constantly poking me. Hey, you know, you're still not submitted to this. That's not your gig. That's fine. You're welcome uh, to come do that. Or you can spend the time just uh, contemplating 2019 and before and the challenge that I've given to you to make 2020 your hindsight year, the year that you learn from your past and that you bring forward the best things that God has done in your life. Maybe you're here this morning and you've yet to make that decision to become a follower of Christ. Time to do it, like right now. If you'd like some help, I'll be right here. I'll be just kneeling. Just come on, kneel next to me. It'll be a little awkward, but that's okay. You'll get over it. It won't bother me a bit. And we'll begin that step of surrendering your authority, your being in the big chair, and putting God where he belongs. But let us not have him come and spent a portion of the very first Sunday in 2020 wasting our time. Let's leave with the joy of a passage that no matter how many times I read it, it still gives me goosebumps. It just says, man, there's an order to things that the whole world is just missing. And there's joy in that order because the one who loves us best and will always love us best and always has our best in mind is the one who's in the big chair. And that's the best, best way to start the year. So, if you want to stand, you're welcome to do that. If you want to come pray, you're welcome to do that. But I'm going to encourage you as we consider what it means to come to the altar, that you do exactly that in your hearts now, that you come to the altar of God's place in your life and you lay it all down before him. Father, thank you so much for what you're going to do in the next few moments. I ask that it would be something that doesn't have an impact for the next five minutes. But Father, for all of this year and into eternity, Lord, I thank you that you are indeed the God who allows us to experience reward, joyful reward for even the most mundane things in life that are good that we do because you've allowed us to. God, let this be the joy of this people gathered in this space, those that have tuned in on Facebook. And God, that it would be just what we get to enjoy before you in the days, weeks, months, and years to come, even until we get to see you face to face. In Jesus' name.